Undercover boss, right? The premise is there is a boss and they go undercover, right? They're the head of a corporation and he or she decides that they're going to get to know the workforce better, right? So they put on a load of prosthetics, they put on a wig, they get a kind of workman's outfit on and they go to the shop floor, to the, to the checkouts. There's a one where it was about a ski organization and they went to the slopes and met the people that did the ski lift and all that kind of thing. And throughout the, the premise is that it's like a fake documentary and so the employees don't know it's their boss, right? So all the way through, they're chatting to this new employee thinking they're just some ordinary guy or woman, right? And then because they're just supposed to be ordinary, they tell them about their lives. So there's some times, though, where they figure out it's the boss and they ham up how bad their lives are for cash. That's not good. I don't, those are the ones I didn't cry at. But mostly what happens is they, they tell about the realities and the struggles of their, their lives. So I remember there's one where I think a child might have had cerebral palsy and it was difficult to pay for health care. There's another one where the guy dreamed of studying or going to university and never been able to. There's one, there was definitely a few where the family have never been on holiday because they're just trying to make ends meet and the, and the, the employers are just trying to keep down like, you know, six jobs in order to actually get through the year, never mind go on holiday. Then what happens right at the end of the show is those three employees go to an undisclosed location and they open the door, and there sitting is their boss with no prosthetics, no wig, no workman's outfit, and a you know, power suit saying, I'm in charge. And because and it's American, they go, ah, oh, it's Right. That's not the bit I cry at. Don't get me wrong. The bit that I cry is the bit after that, where they then sit down, and the boss says, you know, you're the backbone of this company. You're the unseen, the unseen powerhouse behind everything we do. Like everything's on, you know, on your shoulder. You've done an amazing job. You inspire everyone. And I still don't cry at this point. Then what happens is the boss says, "And I'm going to pay for your child's healthcare. I'm going to pay for your family to go on an all-expenses holiday. I'm going to give you twenty thousand dollars in cash just because." You are so worth it. And I'm going to give you a promotion. You're going to be the area manager. And I'm going to give you a pay packet to go with that. And that's when I cry. And I don't know why, but every time it just hits me. And I'm like, I just genuinely sob. I'm just like, oh, there's something about it where it's like this gift that they haven't really earned. But they, like, they have in some ways because they've just been trying. And, and just like sudden, massive generosity just over, like, floods the place. And they often cry, I cry, we're all crying. <laughs> now I get that these bosses probably aren't making that much of a sacrifice. It's probably meager that they're giving $20,000 compared to the good PR they're getting from doing this show. Nevertheless, it does not stop me crying. <laughs> I don't know why. I haven't even really quite figured out why I cry so much. So I know this isn't therapy, but if later on you want to come tell me why you think I cry so much, that would be great. Jesus is a bit like undercover boss, right? Now, hear me out, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. And it's all surrounding this word gave. For God so loved the world, world he gave his only son so that we might not die but have eternal life. Jesus is a little bit like undercover boss. In that moment, 
where the undercover boss is revealed, and they're like, I'm actually in charge of this whole thing, and I think you're great, and I just want to give stuff to you. It's a little bit, there's just a glimpse of something of Jesus' heart for us in that. Now, we're not earning it. It's not about being a good employee. It's not about being a great workforce. And it's not about $20,000 in cash. Though, if you are my boss in here and you're undercover, I'd be fine with that. Nevertheless, it's the something of Jesus' heart in coming and giving us everything, giving us his life, which says to us, you are worth everything. He sits before just you, just you on your own, and says, I give you everything because you are valuable, because I created you, and I created you for good. And there's something about the Father heart of God in Undercover Boss that I just think is just so incredibly beautiful, that God is the good giver. He gives good gifts. Apparently, if you look through the Bible, pray comes up you know, a few hundred times. The word love comes up a few hundred times. And I think the word give comes up, I think, around a thousand times. Throughout the Bible, littered throughout the Bible, all the different books, all the different types of text that are going through the Old and New Testament, the word give comes up again and again and again because God wants to give good gifts. He wants to give to you. Today we're talking about being generous with others. But before we get to that, we've got to start right at the foundation, which is we can only give generously because God has given to us. And if you don't know know Jesus, if you don't believe in him, if you don't have any faith, I just want to pause here. Almost we don't almost need to go any further. Ask the person that you came with, if someone's brought you, why they believe in Jesus, what difference Jesus makes in their life. Because there isn't anyone in here who's too far from the love of God. There isn't anyone in here who's done anything in their lives that should separate them from the love of God. Jesus offers us life and life in all its fullness, it says in the Gospel of John. Life and life in all its fullness. That isn't a little bit, that isn't a small check, that isn't just helping you out with a holiday. That's an entire life of fullness and goodness. And that doesn't mean Christians become perfect. It doesn't mean being a Christian makes your life really easy. But it does mean it makes your life good. Because you have a relationship with God who created you. So that's step one. That's the foundation. We give Because God gave to us. We can be generous because we know a generous God who created us with that original glory in us, with that beauty in us. So, okay, so if if we're reflecting something of God in being generous, what does our generosity look like? We're going to go to Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. Should be on the screen. Philippians is a letter in the New Testament. And it was written by one of the first Christians around four, between 40 and 50 AD. Um, and it is to a church in northern Greece, which used to be Macedonia. Um, and it, so it was originally written in Greek, so this is a translation into English. And the guy writing it, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he went around planting lots of different churches and telling them about the good news of Jesus, the good news that God had come to earth to give his life for us and to redeem creation. 
So Philippians is just one of those churches that Paul, Paul is writing to. And in the different letters in the New Testament, that's like the, right at the end of the Bible, that's the, like the last part of the Bible, um, these letters talk about different things that those churches are struggling with and those churches are doing well. And in Philippians, a lot of it is about generosity. It's about goodness. It's about generosity. It's about, it's about love. So we're going to look at Philippians 2, which is just a small section of that. And it goes, I can't see it from this side. Maybe I should have written it down or something. Oh, my word, it's cut off. Right, okay, I can do it, I can see it. Do nothing, don't worry, it's fine. Rob, you're a hero, but it's okay. Hey. Actually, do give it up for Rob Kerry. Do you want to know the foundation of G2 other than God? It's Rob Kerry. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Go and change the projector when no one else will. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being of very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. We're talking about God here. Made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who took the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and humbled himself. That challenge for generosity is high bar. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. I don't think I could spend a day without doing something slightly out of selfish ambition. I think partly me standing up there is, here is slightly out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. I mean, what, okay, what do those mean though? Selfish ambition meaning like acquire, constantly acquiring things to promote yourself. And vain conceit it reminds me a bit of like, it's like concealing yourself. Like, it's by ego, I think, vain conceit. It's like vanity. Like, putting up a front because that's the kind of, that's what you want to put out to the world. Vain conceit is like trying to make, a, make an identity where you look good. Like, behind the scenes, things aren't so great. But putting out, oh, this is, I'm going to do this because this makes me look good. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. We just live by these, to be honest. I mean, as a start... As we're, as we're looking at how to be gener- generous with each other, I'm like, I don't know, can I, can I not live in vain, selfish ambition or vain conceit? That is hard. Constantly, I think society is telling us we should be selfishly ambitious. I don't think, it's not, you know, adverts don't tell us, oh, you, should, you shouldn't be kind to other people, they, but they do constantly promote visions of our lives which are selfishly ambitious and vainly conceited. Humility to value others above ourselves? I mean, I can barely value others about the same level as me. Above myself? That's going to be really hard. That is genuinely so hard. So we're going to try and dig into this and see if, as we go through, we can find ways that will actually help us do it. Because I genuinely think it's part of how we were made. We were created to be generous. This isn't something that's supposed to be giving up the best stuff, oh, we, I'd love to be ambitious, I'd love to get more and more things. Because actually, ultimately, those, that stuff leads down a hollow path. Actually, 
if we live by the way that God created us, to be generous, to pour out our lives for other people, I genuinely think we'd be more happy. I think we'd find more of our life a thrill. Okay, here's just a very quick example of when I was actually generous. So I was in my fourth year. I studied history and then African studies at Cambridge. And they, it was, it's a very pretty little town, and you get a lot of tourists. I mean, just like busloads of tourists all the time. Um, and you end up in a lot of photos. People want you in photos, or they just take pictures, and you're just in the middle of the building. Like when you walk past the Minster. Like that, but everywhere. But a lot of tourists can't go in the colleges properly. They can, like, peer through the archways and look at the crisply cut lawns, but they're not actually really allowed to go in most of the time. So I thought I had time. I'd finished my exams, as many of you may have done now. I finished my exams, and I was like, I'm going to spend... I'm going to find one of these tourists, and I'm just going to take them in a college. Now, a lot of the tourists are Chinese, and they've come so far to see an archway. And I was like, I'm going to find some Chinese tourists, and I'm going to take them in a college. So, I know, it started out weird. I, I get that it was weird. <laughs> but I was being generous. Generosity may be weird, but that's okay. It's against the patterns of the world, right? We're going the other way. If anyone's going that way, and the selfishness, let's go this way. Right. My small acts of generosity. So, there's a couple, and they, a Chinese couple, and they were asking where King's College is, because King's College is a really fancy, nice one. And I was like, a lot of them are fancy, but that's one where everyone wants to go. And I was like, okay, King's College is down there. You can go there if you want, and I'll show you the way. But I've got a better plan. Now, after some like, language barrier issues, <laughs> they then realized that my plan was better. So I took them in, my college, which was uh, called Peter House, and went through the archway and went through into the courts, and they were just like genuinely quite bemused that this was happening. And I was like, I'm not just going to take them in there, I'm going to take them right inside, like secret passageways. I took them into a hall that was like literally the oldest hall, still used for its original purpose as a dining hall. So like, <laughs> I gave them a mini tour, okay? <laughs> and uh, I, they were like, I took them to see stained glass windows and now I'm like little like, you know, like winding corridors and things like that. And I had such fun doing it, even though it was like time out of my day, I had such fun doing it. I asked them if they wanted to do it in the afternoon as well. And they said yes. So I met up with them at like about three or four in the afternoon and took them around another college. <laughs> Honestly, they were so thankful that the guy, so they must have been in their late 20s, early 30s, the, the, the girl actually had done a master's in York right? And the guy was coming to visit her just when I arrived in New York um, about four years ago. Um, and he, he met up with me on the first few weeks that I arrived. And he had a present for me to thank me for, for the silly thing that I'd done. And what he bought me is two £170 each hot air balloon ride tickets for me and Holly, my wife. And he was in this like, lovely little like, England bag, and he was like, I just want to thank you. And he said, if you want to come stay with me in Shanghai, you can. My dad is the head of some education fund. Like, come, come. And he said that you can make money off Chinese. He was trying to give me secrets about how to make money out of Chinese people. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, he kept telling me. He was like, he was like, what you need to do is you get on the online, and you can, oh, no, I'm not supposed to tell him. <laughs> Ask me later. <laughs> but not on the mic. Okay? Anyway, so he was, he was like genuinely so thankful that he was like just wanted to give something back for my ridiculous generous, generosity adventure. Sometimes random acts of kindness are a bit of a thrill. 
Like, you, every now and again, you see, like, oh, the BBC good news story. Someone stuck £10 on someone's car and said, have a nice day. And we all go, oh, isn't that sweet? Like, it gives the thrill, because we're like, actually, this is, like, a joyful way to live. A way where we actually just share with others, because why not? I challenge you, if you do nothing else, do a random act of kindness this week. Like, it'll get your heart racing. You'll be surprised. Just, like, do something just ridiculously kind. Okay? Randomly. It can be giving a bit of money, but this isn't really about money. This is about, like, just doing something for someone, looking over your own life and doing something for someone. Just try it, honestly. It'd be good fun. But actually, our generosity comes from a more fundamental place. Ultimately, our generosity with others means giving of our talents, giving of our energy, giving of our time. It's not just money. This is about a lifestyle. Generosity with others, I think it's, it's about not looking to what we can get from others, but looking to how we can invite others into our life. I did that a little bit, like a tiny bit with, those, with that Chinese couple. But what if I lived my entire life like that? What if I constantly flung open my doors and was like, to, to anybody, you can come in. You can get to know me. I've got time. I've got time for you, I can cook you dinner, I can drive you somewhere. What if we, we didn't always just spend time with people that it's easy to spend time with, but actually looked beyond that and said, okay, that might be a bit awkward, but actually, they're really lonely, I'm going to spend some time with them, or they're really struggling, I'm going to listen. What if we went to the person in our workplace or in our seminars that actually isn't finding, this, uh, isn't finding work very easy, or nobody really likes, or seems pretty isolated? What if we live lives that were open to the, invita the, to the invitation into our lives? You know, constantly, I think we keep people at the threshold. We're a bit like those kind of stuffy Cambridge colleges where you can just peer around to see the neatly cut lawn. That's all we really want people to see. We live out of vain conceit because we just like people seeing what's nice and neat. And we don't want to let people pass the threshold. Because if you let people pass, they'll really see what we're like. Or maybe we'll run out of time, or maybe we'll run out of energy, or we'll get drained because it's difficult, or we'll feel awkward. It's a small price to pay for living a life that overflows with generosity and actually reflects something, a goodness of God put in you to be generous. Now, there is a sermon device that if you've been in church ever, you probably will have seen already, and it is a video. Now, <laughs> I, no, I'm not just saying just a video is a sermon device. I'm saying this particular video is constantly used in sermons, and if you've grown up in church or anything like that, you will have seen the video I'm about to show, but forgive me, it's a, it is a good one, all right? And I think there's something about it that reminds us just the father heart of God to us and why being generous and, and giving and not being all about ourselves is just so good because I think it reaches down inside us and says, oh, that undercover boss thing, that really makes me cry. <laughs> so, let's... <laughs> Thanks, Holly. That's my wife. That's uh, <laughs> always encouraging me. <laughs> so, let's look at this video. Right, this is from 1992. And this is the Barcelona Olympics. And a guy called Derek Redman was the favorite for winning the 400 meters. And he started out that morning and thought, I'm 100% fit. But it didn't go that way, it didn't go well. It didn't go that way. 
snaps his hamstring shortly into the race, about 17 seconds in. Years of training, that one split second moment where his body gave in. At this point, he said that actually he still thought he might be able to finish. His dad said, when I saw Derek hit the deck, I thought it was a trick. All I can remember is telling the coach, look after my camera. And the next thing I knew, I was on the track. I told him to stop in case he might heal in time for the compete in the relay. <laughs> and, but Derek refused. Well then, I said, we're going to finish this together. I think there's something in that reflects what God's love is for us, reflects that generous father heart for us. I think that's something of what it actually looks like, that God, don't, let's not watch it again, guys. <laughs> I can't, I can only deal with it once, and I to, <laughs> it's worse than an undercover boss. <laughs> I think there's something of the, the father heart of God in what happened there. In that we're just trying to get by, we're just trying to get along, we're just trying to get to the finish line, and everything breaks down, and that he's there. I think in that way that dad runs to his son is a little bit like God running to us. And it's out of that place, it's out of being reminded of that place that we can share with others, that we can open up our lives to others because we're no longer thinking, I've just got to get to the finish line, I've got to be strong, I've got to be together. It's about remembering that actually we're just human and we struggle. I think, go back to 2 Philippians. It talks about, it says that rather in humility, rather in humility, rather in humility um, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of the others I think humility is something like humility that is letting others in on our humanity it's letting us in on who we really are it's not simply random acts of kindness but that's the thrill in that it's something deeper okay so we kind of get that we get that generosity is a good thing but why can't we live like this what stops us I think the key, one of the key things that stops us being genuinely generous with others is our lack of vulnerability. I think godly vulnerability generates our generosity. Godly vulnerability generates our generosity. Because often I think the reason we're not generous is because we want, we're, we're afraid. I don't think we have enough faith. I don't think we think God's going to look out for us. I don't think we think God will carry, will carry us when things go wrong. I think we're constantly trying to look you know, ahead to the rainy day or look ahead to, I've just got to get this done. I've just got to get this sorted. And we don't think more widely because we're constantly buttoned up and just making sure we get out there okay, just making sure we can be okay, just making sure we have enough money, just making sure we get that exam sorted, just making sure we're all right emotionally today. And we don't just open up. We don't open up our lives because we're scared of being vulnerable. There was one time where I felt so ridiculously vulnerable that reminded me that actually if we're able to recognize our own vulnerability, actually we can live more generously because we're open. I was in Beijing a couple of months ago. I know, la -di -da, how nice for me. Um, <laughs> there are 30 million people in Beijing. It is a terrifying city in some ways. Now, the 
Chinese people in Beijing are very kind and friendly, but nevertheless, I felt constantly like I was threatened. But something about the, the vulnerability I felt there reminded me of the foundation of our community that is in our generosity with each other. I stayed near here, near Tiananmen Square. That's just where, do you remember the um, picture of the guy that stands in front of the tank with the shopping bag? That's where that is. Um, and there's constant di displays of like bravado and strength with soldiers marching outside the big painting of Chairman Mao. And I'm one of the, really one of the only foreigners in the whole area and everything seems really alien to me. And I just kept being so aware of how far I was away from home, how, what lack of control I had, how massive everything was and how tiny I was. And I was on my own for the first few days. Now, my sister-in-law was 12 hours behind me, and I, was, I kept looking at my phone being like, that little blue dot on my iPhone is in China. I'm on my own in China. So, but I was like, I want to go to the Great Wall. So I was like, despite the fact that I'm on my own, I'm going to brave it, I'm going to try and get there. So I looked at the timetables, and I got a taxi. And it's supposed to take about two hours. It's an hour taxi, then about an hour train trip. But this taxi left me in this wasteland genuinely left me in this wasteland and just like said this is where the station is it was not where the station was it was where a load a load of like people were riding around on bikes i found a hotel where i thought they'll speak english and they can tell me where the train station is no one spoke english in a 24-story hotel one guy after half an hour spoke broken english and said pointed me left and was like that way is the station he then ran out, after, out of the hotel after I started walking, caught up with me and said, sorry, it's actually that way, which filled me with confidence, didn't it? After another two hours, I finally got to the railway station. After another bus, a dead end, a road, walking through more wastelands, I got to the, I, it was another, I finally got on the train, and honestly, it didn't look like a really like, ex, like tourist route. It just looked like we were going further and further out from safety into more and more broken down buildings. I didn't think this was not going to lead me to the Great Wall. And I was like, if this train stopped, I'd just be left here. I was so aware of my own vulnerability and my own humanity. I was like, if I just got plonked here, how would I get home? I'd just disappear, wouldn't I? And I'm back in my ordinary patterns. I'm back in the social rules that I know. I'm back with a workplace. I'm back with an income and people I know. And with a family that looks after me with a car and a flat. And I forget all of that vulnerability. And I, and I forget that what made a massive difference there was people that decided they would help me. And what made a massive difference was people that decided they weren't going to help me and just to leave me in a wasteland where I could die. We forget often how vulnerable we are, and therefore we try and put up barriers to people. We try and we try and we try and we try and create systems of control so that we're always safe, and we live by those systems of control so that and no one ever gets in. Godly vulnerability will generate generosity when we remember that our humility is when we let others in on our humanity. Here's another reading of Philippians 2 from a different translation. Be free from pride-filled ambitions, for they will only harm your unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, 
I'm talking about God has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to a form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man. He was a perfect example, even in his death. The model Jesus sets for us is of letting ourselves be vulnerable and letting others in, letting others pass the threshold, pass the neatly cut lawn into the real places that we live. So how do we actually do this? Well, yeah, okay, it looks like giving time and energy to people. Yeah, it might look like giving money. It might look like inviting people to dinner. It might look like crossing the workplace to that person that seems isolated. But first, it's got to look like inviting God in. It's about like first letting God pass the threshold to let you see properly that like that father who ran down onto the track, God wants to, is running to you. He's running to you right now. He's running with open arms to you. And it's just whether you accept it back. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in a posture of humility. I'd like you to stand. I'd like you to put your arms wide apart like this. And as you get up, destroy everything on the way. <laughs> and if you're able, I invite you to say after me, Jesus, let me be vulnerable. Jesus, I invite you in. Jesus, you are a good God who gives good gifts. Jesus, help me to share those gifts with others. Jesus, help me to be generous. Help me in my normal life to take a position of vulnerability, of arms wide open, to let people pass the threshold. just going to have a little bit of space with some guys are going to play just a bit of background music. We're just going to have a little bit of space to start pressing further into Jesus and inviting him more in. Um, it's just a space for prayer. Either you can pray on your own in the quietness of your heart or you can offer prayer for someone else. This is just an opportunity not to sing but just to, just to let the Holy Spirit be with you. So the Holy Spirit is... God, that is the Spirit of God that is with us. And He is already here and He's already always been working in your life. But I'm going to invite Him now just to go deeper with us. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, go deeper with us. I invite you in, transform us. Lord, we pray that we will become more like you, losing vain conceit and selfish ambition, and choosing instead humility and vulnerability. So in this quiet space, invite God in.